Thank you, Glenn and choir. That was beautiful. And good morning. What a joy it is to finally be here with all of you on behalf of the Hughes family, Rebecca, Maggie, and me. Thank you so much for the beautiful and genuine show of Christian hospitality and welcome we have received this weekend. And we, along with all of you, share great excitement for that which is yet to come in the life of this church. For we believe, as well as you do, that in Jesus, the best is always yet to come. As we've been reflecting and worshiping today, I couldn't help but cast my mind's gaze to the years of a younger man. I was but a 20-year-old person still discovering what ministerial calling meant for my life. And I did that in abbreviated chapters as I served on staff at Camp McCall in the mountains of South Carolina. I was myself a camper there as a boy, enjoying fresh mountain air and activities, and most importantly, valued and deeply inspirational mentors in the staffers who worked there, who modeled what it meant to follow Jesus. Every night when we gathered for chapel, the staff would come forward and they would sing praises, not always on tune, but always heartfelt. And I remember what I felt when I sat there as a boy listening to them, that one day I wanted to be just like them. I received my opportunity after my senior year in high school, beginning the first of four summers on staff. And the camp was one where I grew in my ministerial capacity as I now became the person that the boys looked to as we went out and explored the mountains and as I had devotional moments in which I told them about my own personal love for Jesus. But it was also that camp that empowered me to explore what it meant to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. They celebrated missions, education. They talked about missionaries throughout the world. But then with their own staffers, they sent us for weeks at a time during the summer to go and learn what it meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because of that, I went to places like Seattle and Peru. And then this one opportunity that I accepted with glee to go to West Virginia. In my mind, I thought it was going to be the fulfillment of the John Denver tune. You know, <laughs> country roads take me home to the place where I belong. West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. Well, I don't mean to offend any mountaineers or those who believe themselves to be a coal miner's daughter, but those country roads did not take me to a place where I belonged. We pulled up to this little camp where we were supposed to entertain the children for a week, and I looked around and I thought, boy, this sure is a sorry-looking place. There was nothing to do save this little thimble of a swimming pool where the kids could go for about an hour each day. The cafeteria looked like it didn't really serve healthy, let alone hygienic food, and such was the case as I contracted a stomach bug, which I battled through the whole entire week. The cabin was pretty shoddy, and as it rained one time, as it does in West Virginia summers, the floor flooded with a deluge of water. My poor Bible met its demise as it was on the floor and then bloated to about three times its normal size. And then there were the children. Now, I know that Jesus said, let the children come up to me, but I don't think he meant these kids. <laughs> these kids were tough. And especially when there came to a young man named Dylan. 
Dylan was the kid that hit and bit and just didn't know when to quit. You feel me? He was mean. And listen, folks, it's not just me telling you that. His own grandmother said that. She said, Dylan's mean, just like his daddy. I looked at Dylan and I summarily wrote him off and said, I cannot wait until I'm waving him home back to that country road where he belongs, far away from me. But then something happened that week. Jesus had something to say. It was the last night of camp, and we gathered, and the pastor did a beautiful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the conclusion of that service, he asked for any and all campers who would like to make a decision to come forward and speak with him. And wouldn't you know it, the first camper to do so was none other than who? I couldn't believe it with my own eyes. And then later, as the camp pastor went to person to person and asked which each one had decided, it was Dylan who said that he had accepted Jesus into his heart. The crowd began to applause. There were cheers amongst the kids, but it couldn't tune out this very familiar voice screaming from the back of the room. It was Dylan's grandmother who said, Oh Lord, I hope it works. Dylan taught me a whole lot about Jesus. Jesus always has something to say, and his words are final and definitive. In fact, I want to contend with you today that Jesus has something to say to anybody, anywhere, going through anything. Why, that means people just like you and me. But you don't just have to take my words for it. Look in your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, one of the most chaotic days in the life and ministry of Jesus, wherein he is rushing from place to place, all with a sense of urgency, and within that day he meets four distinct people with very diverse needs. He starts his day off by meeting a crazy person. He's known as the demon-possessed man, a demoniac who lives in the hills where the tombs are. Oh, yes, he sees dead people, all right. And he's one who's a madman. Howling at the moon at night, he cuts himself with sharp stones. Society has given up on him completely, so much so that the only remedy they know is to wrap him in chains, but even those chains can't hold him. He sees Jesus from a far piece off, and he runs towards his feet in a dead sprint and falls there. What will Jesus say? Fast forward with me to a sick person, a woman who has suffered for 12 years with an issue of blood. She has tried every known cure, but every time she tries to get well, she gets worse. She's known as a pariah, for in that day and time, and the purity culture that existed amongst the Jews, if they were to come in contact with her, they themselves would be ceremonially impure, unable to worship in temple or synagogue. She sees Jesus amongst a huddled mass. She has no sense of dignity. After all, no one wants to be around her anyway, so she gets on her hands and feet and crawls to the feet of Jesus, seeing that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. She looks up to Jesus with wonderment. What will Jesus say? 
Then there's the desperate person. His name is Jairus. He's the leader of the local synagogue. He sees Jesus getting out of a boat, and he runs to him, say, Jesus, come to my house. My little daughter is dying. Jesus sees the desperation in this man's face. His eyes are red. His voice trembles from exhaustion. What will Jesus say? And then, tragically, there's a dead person. It is, in fact, the daughter of Jairus. She lies still as death in Jairus' house. And Jesus walks in to the wonderment of all, for they think, Jairus, you no longer need a faith healer. You need an undertaker. But Jesus insists on going back to the small room where the little girl lie to say something. What will Jesus say? Well, in your Bible, in Mark chapter 5, many of you have translations in which the words of Jesus are actually highlighted in red. To the demon-possessed man, Jesus says, Come out of him, you impure spirit, as he capitulates Satan's scheme with one sentence, sending the demons into a nearby hillside where the pigs are grazing. The pigs go mad with the presence of the demons, and they charge down into a lake where they are all drowned. Mark believes, I think, uses this metaphor to say that the enemies of Christ will not only be defeated, they'll be humiliated. And then as that man sits in his right mind in amazement and wonder, begging Jesus to go with him and be a best buddy and co-worker, Jesus says, no, no, stay here and tell Everyone, how wonderful God is and how much he has done for you. To the sick person, Jesus looks at that woman who, having suffered for 12 years, having done everything in her power to be healed, now finally having touched the hem of his garment and knowing that miraculously, mysteriously, all is well, he says, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go live a life of wonder and fulfillment of God's purpose. Then to the desperate person, Jairus, you remember him. Jesus looks at him and says assertively, don't be afraid, just believe. And then even when all is lost because people say, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore, the little girl is already dead. Jesus says, not so. Let me have a word with her. I want to see your little girl, Jairus. I want to speak something into her life. The people that had gathered in Jairus' house, the hired mourners of the day who were singing their best or perhaps worst funeral dirge, don't have the final say. So in that nine, Jesus goes in to see the final person. What will Jesus say now to the dead person? The little girl lying there still is death. Jesus looks at her and says, Talitha kaum, which means, little girl, I say unto you, get up. To which she does, to the wonder and amazement of all who were gathered there. Jesus says, speaking words of truth, because he understands the true child psyche, now get her something to eat. These are all the things that Jesus said, but what do they mean to you and me here today? After all, Jesus has something to say to anybody, anywhere, going through 
anything, so what about you and me? Therein lies the rub of Mark chapter 5. You see, the common mistake is to think that we're just reading a story about other people, wherein we miss the vital point that we, in fact, are these people. We are the crazy person, one who is bombarded by conflicting voices. Forget legion, for they are many. We are talking about thousands of voices constantly battling for who we are and whose we are. They come in the form of your Sunday morning paper, the cover of your magazine, your TV set that has the 24-hour news cycle, and let's not forget that little glowing four-by-six-inch box that never turns off. Through social media, every single moment of the day, someone is always telling you who you are and whose you are, and quite often it never aligns with what God has to say. We are the sick person, that person who is dealing with something not of their own doing and far beyond their own cure. Every time we try to make it better, it gets worse. We're at the point of desperation. Forget dignity. We need healing now. And only a word from God himself will do. We are the desperate person. Someone who is in fear of losing something or someone so dear and near to our heart that if it were to go away or disappear, we would despair of life itself. And yes, friends... We are the dead person. We today might be ones with hearts who are physically, emotionally, spiritually dead. We lie still. And the only thing that will bring us back to life is a word from Jesus himself. Oh yes, Jesus has something to you and me to say, and all of them, all of them are but reiterations of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. That which was spoken through an ancient prophet of Israel thousands of years before Jesus even came here. Jesus says to you and me that he has come to set the captive free. That those who are imprisoned no longer need to stay in the darkness of their cell. Jesus had come to give you beauty for ashes, a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair, oil of joy instead of sorrow. Oh yes, Jesus has something to say, but the question is, will we listen? They didn't in Jesus' time, you know. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is invited to come and give a sermon at the local synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And as he's beckoned forward, as was the tradition of that day, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. And you'll never guess what Jesus turns to. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. He pronounces that verse over and over again to those who are listening, but then does something rather curious as he goes to sit down. The eyes of the room fixated upon him. He says in something that I believe nothing more than a whisper, today those words have been fulfilled in your very presence. 
And do you want to know what the people in that synagogue do in response to Jesus? They push him off a cliff. Well, almost. As they corralled Jesus out of the synagogue, pushing him towards a cliff, they hope to finally do this voice in, and it leads us to ask why. Why wouldn't they listen to Jesus? It's because they're no different than you and me. Sometimes we prefer our own prison cell. Sometimes we prefer our own self-made chains because within them we know that we don't have to risk anything and that the outcome of life, as bleak as it might be, is certain. So when Jesus comes around, we too try to push him out, push him away, maybe not off a cliff, but certainly out of our hearts, saying things like, Not now, Jesus. Too busy, Jesus. Too risky, Jesus. I'm too scared, Jesus. But perhaps this next word will lead you in discernment so that you can take hold of the resurrection life that Jesus pronounces over you and me. Because just like those in Luke chapter 4 who wanted to push Jesus off a cliff, maybe, maybe we didn't know the end of the story either. You see, those who wanted to push Jesus off a cliff actually represented a spirit of the age that still exists today to silence the voices of light and hope. Whether it be Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or Christ himself, we have some evil within us that wants to darken the brightest minds and hearts amongst us because they simply dream something of too big and too beautiful for us to behold. And so during a week in Jerusalem, those who wanted to push off a cliff, Jesus off a cliff, work together with one in his inner circle and seek for that moment to betray him. When the crowds are away from Jesus, the crowds that loved him would have protected him, they find him in a moment of prayer, arresting him with a mob. They take him to the Sanhedrin where they produce false charges against him. And then on to Pilate, the government official and representative of Rome of that day. They pronounce a kangaroo court over Jesus. And even though Pilate wants no part in this sentence, he doesn't want to dissatisfy the crowd and hear from his higher officials in Rome. So he consents to their cry of crucify him. Being led away, Jesus is led to a fate that is unimaginable as he is nailed to a cruel cross. But he didn't die. He wouldn't die until he was able to pronounce the words of forgiveness over us and say ultimately that it is finished. Upon drawing his last breath, Jesus is then taken down and hurriedly placed in a tomb. A large stone is placed over the entrance. It's even sealed and left with guards at attention. Then after three days, something happens. You see, evil thought they had won the day, that all hope was finally lost, that the words of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 were made out to be nothing but lies. And it would have been so, except for this one thing. Jesus still had something to say. And in the same voice that he pronounced life over a person like Dylan, he says, the grave has no hold over me. 
And as people come to look and anoint his body with fragrance and spice, they see that the tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away. The linen cloths that wrap Jesus are neatly folded and an angel sits there saying, why are you here looking for the living amongst the dead? He has risen just like he told you. Now go and find him. It sets in motion the most beautiful chapter of human history yet, that of a church which is constantly looking for the resurrected Jesus and finding him. And as they do and are willing to listen to the words that Jesus has to say, they realize there is no more playing games in the church house. No more coming and getting, but then leaving and doing nothing. In other words, it's now game time, baby. It's time to go out there and be a difference maker and a kingdom shaker. It's time to be salt. It's time to be light. It's time to find out who you really are meant to be in this world and be the person that God always believed you to be in the first place. Oh, yes, Jesus is speaking today. Do you hear him? To everybody, going through anything, anywhere, Jesus says a word to you. Will you listen? Will you open your heart and your mind? Will you take hold of the hem of his garment? Will you fall at his feet? Will you let him speak life over you? And will you rise up and go and be the person you were always meant to be? Jesus has something to say. Let us listen as we conclude in prayer. God, we thank you that Jesus, in fact, has something to say to anybody, anywhere, going through anything. And it is my hope and my prayer that today, every heart and mind will, in fact, listen. Listen, O God, so much so that they would dare to follow something so big as the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Dare to be changed, dare to leave chains, dare to go out and leave prison cells and accept the beauty that you pronounce over us, a crown of victory. Like captives from a cell, may we leave this place renewed, recharged, and ready to take on anything because the power that is within us in Jesus Christ is greater than any power of this world. We love you and thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.